Hello and welcome to More Like Guidelines, an actual player game design podcast. I am your host and game leader, Jessica Crimes, she, her, and today I am joined by... I'm Alistair, he, him. So today we are going to be taking a break from designing and playing games to instead talk about a project which has recently entered a state that I'm happy to call basically done. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, pretentious games for villains and bastards uh it was originally an eight game compilation so i keep going to say that a nine game compilation of weird wonderful completely unique let's say tabletop role-playing games they're fucking a weird great range of creators they're really weird it's great how would you pitch it um i would say it is a book of ttrpgs or games so games Uh, I would say it's for people who are pretentious and for people who are bastards or both. So I would say I would pitch it as being a book of pretentious games for villains and bastards. Piss off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a it's 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 a book of of unique games. Like so I think I think a lot of them are one shots and some of them are maybe longer form. Um, like my, mine is designed to be uh, a one shot of a few hours, so maybe one or two sessions. Uh, and um, they're they're for games for people who who want to try something new, maybe a little spicy in the TTRPG realm of things. I will say they all very much lean towards one shots, but there are there's probably a majority in there that you could stretch out if yeah. you wanted to. But these are very much games that fall into the category i think of as narrative engines where they basically just make a story happen yeah so they're as long as they need to be shall we start with a quick rundown of all the games who's making them and our very 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 brief ideas of what they are yeah absolutely um you uh, haven't actually read many of them have you i haven't no i you have not provided them to me <laughs> i haven't i've been fucking busy yeah the way this works has worked uh i jess am the lead producer of this book so i've been i've been doing all the boring jobs as well as writing a couple of the games so i'm the only person other than our formatter ben who has actually read all of them but they have all been thoroughly play tested just by different groups. I have the uh, soft cover proof in my hand right now, which is terribly exciting. Uh, still waiting on the hardback one because it's fancy. <laughs> so, our games are, in the order they are in the book, Eat Trash and Die by myself, which is a game about eating trash and then dying. You are a swarm of goblins sent to devour and reset the world. It's kind of grim and I love it. It's very Uh, angry. It's a very angry game, but like in a very good way. Next up, we have Rats in the Walls. Do you want to tell us about that one, Alistair? Sure. Um, It is a game about, um, instead of a swarm of goblins, you're playing as a swarm of rats. Uh, But it's a lot less grim. It's it's more maybe whimsical than than a lot of the other games. Um, You are building your colony of rats. Uh, You're naming them. You're developing their personalities and their relationships to each other. And you are going on heists to steal various pieces of technology from the humans to grow your colony. Oh, I should mention about Eat Trash and Die. I haven't actually said anything about the mechanics and what you're doing there. You are eating trash to essentially gain points, 
which you use to build yourself new and exciting limbs and gradually get them bigger and bigger so you can eat more trash. It is halfway between Katamari Damacy and uh, you got a job on the garbage barge. I love it. <laughs> I think you summarized it pretty well when you said it's a game about eating trash and dying. Yeah. Next up is Slasher by Perry Meester, which is a brilliant game. It's basic. I'm going to sorry. I'm going to say that about all of them because they all are really exciting. I've absolutely loved playtesting these. Uh, yeah, so Slasher is a game designed around the feeling of watching a kind of like schlocky B movie horror. Really leaning to all of those, leaning into all of those tropes. You play as various archetypes from horror films, and you are essentially guiding this character to their grisly horror death. <laughs> Uh, and they're all horrible people as well, so you don't feel too bad about it. We have Love Me Not by Ed Croft and Tommy Croft of Jolly Boat. You uh, may remember they were on our first guest game building session with me and Ben. We made a game about tarot cards. Uh, Love Me Not is really, really cute. It's like a, it's like a moment. It's like a slice of life of a relationship. Several slices of life. It's like a cake of life of a relationship. Oh, I could go for some cake. Ooh, I could go for some cake. Uh, and it is played using an origami rose. Uh, I'll try and get through the rest of these a bit quicker because we're only halfway there. Blackout is a game by me that you play by redacting words from a text from an actual book, magazine, article. Kissing in the Word Future was made on this show by myself, Goji, and Laura K. Buzz. We've uh, given it our, given it a clean up, given it an update, made it properly work, and it's in the book. Terpsichorean by Rosley. It's incredibly what's the word i'm looking for it's incredibly vibes <laughs> uh, it's, incre it's an incredibly atmospheric uh feminist game about well basically you play as people who control these giant mechs but that is seen as a very feminine and outdated way of doing war but it's also really the only way to win this one it's a really quite touching game. Protagonist by Cat Elm. I played that on the McGovern and Company stream. Cat sums it up as every, like, you know, when you're 13 years old and you're making your OC on an old forum, like a fan, fan forum, uh, you play as those characters, ridiculously <laughs> overpowered, overgeared. It's incredible. I have so much fun with this. I cannot recommend it enough. I had a great time playtesting it. Crossroads by Johnny Sims and Sasha Sienna of McGuffin and Company. This one, they have leaned into the theme of, like, weird technical shit, and it has worked brilliantly. Crossroads is as much a toolkit as it is a game for having two GMs running the same game, trying to get the party to complete different hidden goals. It's such a head fuck, and I love it. <laughs> All of these games have uh, art by the incredibly talented Megan Dobbin, who also illustrated my last compilation, Storybox. Uh, they all have a main illustration each and a uh, couple of these really nice little doodle-style ones scattered throughout. Uh, yeah, it's a fucking brilliant book, and I cannot wait for people to get their hands I love on it. the illustrations. They're they're all so fantastic, and they, they give Very so much good. personality to the book. So, uh, let's talk about how this project came to be. Yes, how did it how start, How did you get Jess? involved? Oh, we can get to that. Well, how, how did I get involved? I, I don't remember exactly, but I imagine it was you messaging me at around two in the morning again and saying, hey, I have an interest in doing a project with you. Yeah, I was getting out of the way because I cannot for the life of me remember you know, <laughs> getting you involved in this project. It just was. Yeah, I, I kind of materialized like alongside the idea to the project. 
yeah that's fair to say yeah when i was um yeah first putting this book together i had an idea in mind of the kind of creators that would be you know a good fit for this kind of inhibitionless mm-hmm. self-indulgent writing and uh, from the fact that everyone said yes it's fair to say that i had that pretty spot on and from the fact that they have made they've made these brilliant games so uh yeah various people got emails and twitter dms and whatnot <laughs> um some were recommended by other creators um yeah and then obviously johnny and sasha of mcguffin i think this was around the same time that i was talking to them about contributing some bonus content to odd jobs i was like yeah this is a natural fit i absolutely love their work let's ask if they want to also do my book (laughs) oh there's a question alistair yes of all the games that we have just run through which one that you haven't played are you most interested in playing? Oh, Slasher. I, I love cheesy horror movies. You've not played Slasher? I haven't played Slasher. I wanted oh. to play test it, but I, you know, like, I have no time. Um, so I, It's I, interesting. I, Sorry, go on. No, yeah, I just, I just love cheesy horror movies, and the, the idea of, of playing in one would be... Sounds like fun. Yeah, no, you're going to love that. We'll have to get to games, a game together at some point. I wonder if we could, um, we could play it on the show, maybe. Oh, 100%. What I enjoy is Slasher is kind of a reflection of protagonist in that you're playing the same kinds of like overbro- overblown trope-laden characters, but the way that that all resolves and the way it actually feels to play are very different. Mm-hmm. It's I recommend playing both of them and comparing yourself. There's your homework. <laughs> Jess, which of the which of the games that you've created is your personal favorite? Of the three in the book, yes, they're all they're all they're all so good in different ways. Okay, um, I think if we're just saying you know pure heart choice, not head choice, favorite, it would probably have to be Kissing in the Weird Future. Oh, really? Because, uh, firstly, I just love collaborating with people. Any excuse to work on a project with someone else, 100%, I'm there, I'm down, I'm working on it. So being able to work with Goji and uh, Laura K. Buzz, someone I have wanted to collaborate with on something, because I just absolutely love her work, yeah, absolutely brilliant. And also it has made a really fun game that I then got to do a revised edition of that, like, worked better. You don't get to do that too often, honestly, yeah. when you make games this quick. That I, said, everything in this book is extensively playtested. I'm talking about more the kind of things we make on the podcast. I do remember the, um, the the initial creation of Kissing in the Weird Future in the sense that I was sitting in the living room. Uh, Goji, Goji and me are housemates. I was sitting in the living room and I was listening to him record in, in his bedroom and absolutely just losing his shit for minutes on end. So... Uh, that's a good sign. <laughs> if you'd like to hear the genesis of that game, uh, just kind of scroll down the podcast feed a bit. I don't think it was that long ago. Might be like April. Oh my god, that uh, was... It is called Let's Make a Game with Laura K. Buzz, and it was really fucking good. However it happened, when you first had this brief of, I want you to make a weird game, basically, I think that's roughly what it came down to. Yeah. Did you already have rats sitting around as an idea in your head? Did you already have rats on the brain? Yes. And or was this a new creation? Yes, I kind of, I kind of did, I think. I, I'm, tr- I'm struggling to remember the exact inception of Rats in the Walls. I, I think 
at the time, okay, no, this was it. At the time, I was really into the the computer game um, Crusader Kings Three, and I can't play that. You, ha- you have? Can't. Oh, you can't I play can't. it. I can't. Why not? I just don't have the brain for it. I can't. <laughs> I, I just I just get bored so quick. <laughs> it looks really interesting, but I have it's... to watch. I have to watch. I have to watch vods of it or like other people playing it I'm... because. I I have I have a some some specific traits that make games like Crusader Kings three very fun for me, and I just I love following like uh, the family the family tree along through through the generations. That's that's the big draw of the game for me. Um, but I also really I I like any kind of city building game or any kind of game where you like build from the ground up, like some kind of dynasty or an empire or things like that. And I thought it would be cool to do something like that with a TTRPG. And then I I remembered, um, and this was in the back of my mind the entire time I was I was writing Rats in the Walls was uh, a book called The Tale of Despero, which is um, it's a children's it's a children's book about uh, a mouse uh, living in a castle basically, and 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 I thought I could do a city builder or or sort of something along the lines of like a civilization simulator, uh, but what if it was rats? Uh, and and that it just kind of came it just went from there so like the the focus of the game was building the colony and the the relationships between the specific rats because i had to limit the amount of rats that you can actually have and still have them be individuals uh and and it just kind of went from there so it's a, it's a building game which is exactly the sort of thing that i like that's a really interesting answer <laughs> is it because it's not all what i was expecting you to say what were you expecting so when you first started working on this game, I very much more experienced you developing the mechanical side of it. Uh, and this will tie back to Crusader Kings 3 again very shortly. Um, I remember you saying that you want to make a game about spreadsheets. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, Crusader Kings basically is. Yeah. Uh, and that was very much the first thing I heard about it. So did you start with the uh narrative elements or the kind of mechanical themes first is uh, what i'm curious about i mean i guess the answer is yes um i i pitched it as being a game about spreadsheets because i was very aware that it was going to be a game for people who are organizationally minded um who like setting things up in rows in little lists uh like i my favorite thing to do and i think one of the big draws to this game is like listing out all of your rats listing out their traits listing how they interact with each other like that's the spreadsheet element for me uh and and that i think was one of the big draws of the game like i want i want the kind of game for people like me who really enjoy organizing shit um i mean early drafts of the game you had to be that person if memory serves (laughs) it used to be quite a lot more complicated you do you 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 think i simplified it i guess no i think you smoothed it out i think you streamlined it everything's still there it's just easier to use and i don't need a spreadsheet (laughs) yeah you just kind of need a pad and paper it's like playing D, but you have like multiple pared down characters to keep track of I had so much fun testing this. It's a game that very much lends itself to dramatic flair. <laughs> but, you know, just putting bells on things. <laughs> is but, that fair to say? Yeah, it, it really it really is. Like there's there's an element of like hard and hard mechanics 
Um, I, I really, I, we like to joke a lot about on this show about how we, we hate dice, but this game has a lot of dice in it. And that's actually something that I really enjoy is, is having like unique rolling mechanics. Um, and I had, a, I had a lot of fun like coming up with those for, for Rats in the Walls. Uh, and I'm glad to hear that, that you enjoyed testing it because this is the first time I've ever actually written a full game. So, so testing was, was a little harrowing. It was a little scary to do. Yeah, that's fair. It can be quite a emotionally daunting process. (laughs) Hey, all right. So Jess, tell me, um, what made you start this project and what was the most challenging part of it for you? Like the whole, the whole process, what was the hardest part? Oh God. Um, the hardest part was probably just finishing my game, my two and a half games, essentially, because I was updating Kissing in the Weird Future, not writing it from scratch. <laughs> but finishing those to a, to the, well, to the standard that I am happy with while producing the rest of the project and running the rest of, you know, DHB and life stuff yeah. was, well, it always is. It was the same with the end of Storybox is quite intense because it's not, a, it's not a situation that's particularly conducive to creativity. Right. So I started having to essentially build my schedule around trying to just kind of make a creative burst happen. God, and see this... And it fucking works. <laughs> this is exactly why I haven't done a project like this. You can tell that Eat Trash and Die was written uh, over a series of those kinds of creative surges rather than the usual long plodding process because it it feels like quite a theatrically written game. I okay, I mean this in the absolute best way possible. I mean this as a complete oh, compliment. Jesus. Oh god. <laughs> What's this gonna be now? I've read Eat Trash and Die. It feels very much like a game that was written in an angry fugue at two in the morning. Pretty much. Like <laughs> most of my creative work. Admin happens during the day. Yes. Creative stuff happens when I suddenly bolt awake at three AM. It's only mostly true. Eat Trash and Die feels like sort of a cathartic response to climate grief. It was so cathartic to write. My god. Um, I'm not going to go into the themes. We don't have to do that, no. (laughs) We can can analyse it later. It's really, really cool to just kind of have my name in this book with so many other cool people. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to, to like hold a copy in my hands and just kind of look at it and see it. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. This is the kind of period you get into when, you know, the weights come off after quite a long project. You know, there's still bits to do, but the stress is basically over until it's time to put them all in envelopes and send them out. <laughs> you can look it's down... Just... <laughs> You lose the ability to think properly. No, you can you can look know. down and be like, "Oh shit, I I I made something." Here's here's a thing that exists. It. It's, it exists in the world because of me. Terrible industry. I would have, not recommend. I have done this. I have committed this upon the world. Nah, it is pretty cool. Yeah. All right, we should take a break there. Yeah. Yeah, and then we'll get into some audience questions. All right, be right back. And welcome back. So we are going to dive into some audience questions. If you would like to submit questions to the show, we will basically do them every time we have enough to justify it. 
join the DHB Discord. There's a link in the episode description. Oh, yes, please do. We love you people. Yeah, uh, there's a pinned comment in the More Like Guidelines channel to the questions form. Mm. So let's start off. This question is from Carter. Pretentious Games for Villains and Bastards was made to be a book where the least logical, most unsellable, weirdest RPGs would finally get their time to shine. I think that's a fair comment. I think that's a fair comment. Yeah. Are there any TTRPGs made by you or by others that aren't in the book, but you feel would fit really neatly into them? I'm going to let you start, Alistair. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Skimble Shanks the Railway Cat. Shit, I made a cat's game, didn't I? Yeah, you did. We played it on stream. Good, it was. I love that game. Can you tell us about it, Jess? Oh no, honestly, (laughs) I can't remember much. I think you played as you played as kind of a quantum human cat. Yeah, you you, quite literally as a Schrodinger's cat. You were a cat, unless at some point during the game you declared that you had actually been a a Broadway performer in disguise all along. Yeah. And from that point on, you had always been human and would continue (laughs) to be. It was really fucked. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love that game. If 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 we were still in the early stages of Pretentious, I would be pushing for that game to be in the book, and I would also be pushing for the Blood Gazebo Valley. Oh my god. Uh, are there any games not made by either of us that you can think of that fit the Pretentious mm. games for the vibe? It's okay, yeah, no, no, take it again. <laughs> no, that's staying in the show. <laughs> um, let me think for a second. I... This this pro this we would not be able to put this in the book because it is literally by definition unsellable. But Cat Elm's Witcher Hack of Honey Heist was oh that a was genuine fun. treat. Yeah, um, that yeah, that was actually, a lot of fun. I feel like if I was drawing on games that would be a good fit, it's because they probably inspired a lot of the games that are in it in part. Yeah. So, of my other games, quite a few of the ones in Storybox fit the vibe. I'd say in particular in the town, in the valley, in the day, in the night. I was about and, to mention that one too. Uh, Chromatics, probably. Yes. Would uh, fit more than any of the others. Chromatics was a game where you play as wizards and your powers come from the actual physical dice that you have as the human playing it, depending on, you know, the size, the colour, the material they're made of. They have different effects on different spells mm-hmm. you can cast. I think it was pretty good <laughs> uh but yeah no in this hound in the valley in the day and the night definitely that is also in Storybox with chromatics and yeah. it's more of a storytelling exercise if we're being real it's like it's got the barest number of ttrpg features needed to be a ttrpg one person plays as the day one person plays as the night it's real wanky i love like- games that are essentially just improv exercises or narrative exercises because there's a lot of there's a lot of room for just general fuckery (laughs) yeah that's that's pretty fair it is it is dependent on on the player that you're playing with you need to have some kind of alignment there but aside from that i think it's it they can be some of the most fun ttrpgs out there Oh, oh, I was going to say, yeah, there are any number of, of, of games that we've made on, on Let's Make a Game that I oh probably my God, would yes. love to include. Let's, 
try and remember what any of them were because some of them let's be real weren't games they were audio experiences (laughs) i'm thinking particularly of um time team the rpg mid with guy kelly when i say that was that was fucking incredible yeah it was great that was a lot of fun um i i think that the the supermarket um the eldritch supermarket game i don't remember what we called it but the one we made with helen gould was was a particular gym yeah clean up an aisle knoll i think that would have belonged in pretentious Oh, I want to play that. That deserves a revamp. It does. Well, it actually, really does. I don't even know if it needs a revamp. It deserves at least a test. Yeah. <laughs> All of these games can be found on our Patreon, of course, as public posts. You don't even need to subscribe to see them. And you can hear the episodes in your podcast feed. So, uh, our next question... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm done. Yeah, go for it. Our next question is from Hal, who asks, How long does it take to write and test a game? And what factors does that depend on most? Good question. <laughs> um, For me, um, between one and six months. And that... I've only I've only written the one game, so however long it took for me to make rats in the walls is how long it takes for me. It's difficult to pin down exactly how long it takes to make a game, doesn't it? Isn't it? Because yeah. quite often it's one of several projects that you're working on at once, and because they tend to kind of, at least for me, be like a tumbleweed or just an amalgamation of different ideas that have been marinating around in my brain. I'll draw on different things when I've got the core concept. It's difficult to say when it starts. I, I'm, I don't have a a lot of, of experience to go on to assert this or say that it's factual, but I feel like the game making process is, Largely one extremely busy, extremely chaotic afternoon, followed by three months of general meditation. That's fair. I mean, I can't speak for obviously all designers, and this is particularly going to apply to like small indie games, like a dozen pages or less built for one shots. This is particularly what I'm going to be answering the question with regards to. Uh, obviously, bigger games, you know, your Dungeons and Dragons, your Spires, mm-hmm. your Blades in the Dark. But yeah, your bigger games, it's going to be a whole different process. But for this kind of thing, it tends to very much start for me with what I think of as the core of the game, which yeah. is like if you crushed and condensed a vibe. That's how scientific we're getting here. That's how well <laughs> I'm able to explain my design process. It's basically I'm... one solid foundation to build the rest of the game branching out from. So, for example, for Eat Trash and Die, it was literally the title Eat Trash and Die was the thing that everything else was built from. I really for another think game, that... it might be a mechanic. Like, for Agents, it was the idea that your skills come from a random word generator. It's You find this core thing, it could be narrative... And then you just draw on whatever else you need over a long process. But that's it's your concept. My... Yeah, it's it's your core concept, basically. I definitely think that kind of thing can evolve over time. So you, you can start with an idea like, oh, Rats in the Walls is a game about city building and spreadsheets. But it evolves over time. And I think the the main process of the initial game design is finding exactly what the sort of that true real like nugget of, of 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 the core concept is and once you have that you're done with 60 percent of the game just like that 
I, I disagree on the 60% thing. <laughs> I feel like it's more like you're done with 5% of the game, but it was a really important 5%. Fair enough. It has to come first. What yeah. about testing? So I'm curious what your process was with rats when it came to making sure that it works. Obviously, I've been involved in playtests. I've yeah. basically done my like analysis of it with my proper TTRPG hat on. Quite, quite cool. a bit of it was, was again, like creating in a fugue state, standing back, looking at the document and then being like, oh, okay, I need to show this to other people to make sure that it is ab- like intelligible in any way. So, so uh, that, that was, that was most, most of my process was like, does this make sense to you? Does it function? Mm, that's fair. I mean, I tend to test kind of in layers. So... I start testing before the game's done if it's like a... Oh, yeah, me too. If I'm going to be charging money for it. um, Yeah. I will test out concepts quite early on. I do... I don't know if they have proper names. I think of them as ideation tests. Yeah, like basically... Sorry, like like testing testing different elements uh, of the mechanics individually, like... Uh, running sort of like probability, just spamming a dice spot over and over and over again to see like how often does this turn up? How often does this turn up? Uh, and then just tweaking, especially like for for specific mechanics, like tweaking tweaking different uh, values that way. Well, yeah, every person who makes games is going to have kind of a slightly different testing process because they're making different games. Even if I'm testing a game that's going in pretentious games, I'm going to test it very differently to a game that is meant to be more uh, rigorously kind of rules-based, something more mm. along the lines of, you know, you've got a full character sheet with a skill list and a spell list, and you've got all these different things you can do. You're going to test that game differently to a game based around, say, blacking out words and text. Yeah. It's a pretty fair comparison to make. Yeah, a lot. A lot of it's like sort of apples and oranges. You can't compare. So there's some games you just can't compare to others. Overall, though, I do tend to do testing kind of in phases. So mm-hmm. the way that I'd start off with it is, um, in the very earliest stages where I'm not sure which direction the game is going to take, and I've got a few different mechanical things in mind. I do what I think of as an ideation test, where basically. Um, run some people who are incredibly patient through a game, but every 20 minutes or so I'm saying, right, this rule's changing, this rule's changing, this rule's changing, and we're going to continue this test, but see how this breaks things in a different way. So that's something Mm -hmm. I do quite continuously while I'm working on a game, if it is something I'm going to be charging money for, and then I go away on my own and I test the maths, which is a (laughs) long and arduous process that I would really recommend checking out Wolfram Alpha for, wolframalpha.com. Wolfram Alpha was fantastic. It, yeah, you you introduced me to Wolfram Alpha while I was making rats, and I was like, oh, where have you been all my life? Yeah, it's not quite as... The free version isn't as good as it used to be, because more features have been peer-walled. But when I was uh, attempting a physics degree, absolute lifesaver as a maths engine. Mm. Well, really I mean, all I, all I really needed was dice probability, so that was it was invaluable for that. How long would it take to test a game? Again, it's the same kind of question, so depends how thoroughly you're testing it, and it depends how much you're testing. The factors that testing depends on comes down essentially to the number of moving parts. 
to the number of things that interact with each other that can vary, and that also includes the players. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd recommend ab- abstracting as much of the testing as possible. So you don't need to check your maths with players, but you do need to check how the maths feels, for example. You don't yeah. need to make the players do 20 stealth rolls in-game. You can crunch all that yourself, but you do need to see how the players experience the pass failure rate, as well as just making sure that everything works. Shall we move on to the next question? Let's do. So these are anonymous. We have two questions. Obviously, as game designers and writers, you likely didn't decide, I'm going to hack slash make a game and then I'm done. Rather, you kept going because you were passionate about it. Thus, you have probably had the experience of putting more love and effort into one more than another. Yeah. What has been your experience in game design with projects that you jump into thinking, this is going to fucking rule when I'm done with it, versus those that are more along the lines of, eh, why not? This is going to be Garbo, but might as well. Oh, Jesus, I have no idea how to answer this. I think we can expand this to look at more creative projects in general. In particular, I'm thinking, like, your writing. Yeah, right. Do you have that experience of starting a project and thinking, this is definitely going to be fucking sick, versus thinking, this is going to be trash, but I'm going to make it anyway? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, why why make something if you know it's going to be trash? Usually it's because you know it's going to be your trash. So, like, it's, it's, it's going to be either objectively bad or unmarketable or shitty in some other way, but you're going to have fun making it, even if the end product isn't what it's supposed... or what it, isn't quality, as opposed to, like, going into something, enjoying the process, and also thinking this is going to be something that other people are going to enjoy. I th- that's how I'm reading that question, as opposed to, I'm going into this because it's going to get me some money, and I'm not super into it, but I'll do my best. That's fair to say. I think the way that I interpret it as, um, you know, like a Garbo project, um, presumably meaning garbage, mm-hmm. is when I want to make something just for the act of making it and i've got no real interest i might put it on my itch like the cats game but i just want to make it for the sake of making it either to kind of blow off some steam because it can be quite a what's the word i'm looking for beans with a c cathartic it can be quite a cathartic process thank you (laughs) um it can be fun or it can just be for practice uh that's the kind of thing i'd say there and I'd still, I'd say quite often I still end up not being necessarily as proud of them, but valuing them as much as games. Like I'd be just as hesitant to permanently delete most of them. I, I think the closest analogy that I have in this experience is my... So maybe The Carving Bones, which is definitely one of those projects where I'm like, okay, other people are going to like this. It's going to be dope. I'm it's, it's going to be like actually something that's worth creating. Uh, and I'm enjoying the process versus maybe, uh, two weeks ago, I got really into sonnet writing for some reason. And I wrote a sonnet about how hot it is in Florida all the time. Sorry. I heard Sonic. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I was just going to let you keep going. I, I accepted <laughs> that as, you know, that's your thing now. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, I wrote Sonic. I wrote, I wrote him. I made that. And it wasn't good, but like, you know, I had fun. So I guess there's, there's your analogy there is, um, hey, as long as you're having fun, make whatever you want. <laughs> For me, uh, no, the kind of... Sorry, go ahead. No, it's... Just, it's it, different projects do different things for you, and it needs to be doing something for you. Even if it's money. I'm going to say oh, it. Yeah. You're allowed Don't to make sh- things for money. <laughs> Don't shy away from making a project to get paid. Yeah. Like, it's perfectly fine. We live in a capitalist hellscape. You've got to survive. Um, My experience of it is very much that I have so little time and so many things that I either am working on or want to work on that I need a really good reason to work on something that I know is going to be bad, quote unquote bad. And very often that will just be because I want practice or I want to just let off some steam. So that's where I am with it. Yeah. Because there's always, I've got this idea that I really want to do and could be good. I mean, practice is a very good reason to like do something that you know is going to be bad. Like I was... For some reason, the last couple of weeks, I've been in a puzzle mood. So I've been just doing like a shit ton of Sudokus and oh, having a oh, lot of you fun need to with You check them. out the Crack the Cryptic YouTube channel. I, I have been brilliant. watching. I have been watching Cracking the Cryptic. Um, yes. Yeah. I, show, I showed him, uh, I, I showed the channel to Goji and he just about died laughing. He was like, this is so you. Um, Simon from the Crapping, Crack, sorry. Crapping the Cryptic. Go ahead. Simon from the Cracking the Cryptic channel. Jesus, that's hard to say out loud. <laughs> um, has also been uh, live streaming The Witness on YouTube recently. As someone that? who doesn't really do games. It's that puzzle game where you're on an island and it's all dots and lines. And eventually you realise that it's way bigger than you thought. And it's just okay. really fucking good. Interesting. Uh, so it's been fascinating to watch him play that. And obviously, as soon as he understands what he's meant to do, it's incredible. It's it's great because he's just he's just this very quiet, soft-spoken little British man, and he's very relaxing to listen to. Sometimes he gets very, very excited, and I can never tell why. It's great. Like, oh, this is a lovely puzzle. It's a seven. It's beautiful. <laughs> no, like a lot of respect for him. I yeah, suppose. absolutely. I think he's great. Also. Do you ever not playtest your games or make them to have made... Oh, this is kind of... We already answered this kind of. Or make them to have made something rather than with the intent that someone plays them. Um, The biggest example for me I can point to with this of the things that I have put out there but don't ever expect anyone to actually play. I think I made a game in like half an hour, maybe like an hour, called Trans Rights Are Human Rights, You Utter Fucking Bastards. Yeah. Uh, on a day when the UK was being particularly the UK, and I just yeah. kind of whacked it on itch for free. Some people have downloaded it. Don't remember anything about it myself. Uh, it was a very depressing game. I imagine it'd be very depressing to play if it even worked. No, I remember that it. Everyone ruined my whole yeah. day to read. <laughs> oh, but like, it, it was good. It was good art. It was art. It was art. It was very much an art game. Yeah, I, I think. I think. Um, Jess, I, I feel like half of the content we put out on this show it falls under the category of games that are made with no intention that anyone will ever actually play them. That's fair. If you ever want an example of a game being made purely for the sake of creation, check out Let's Make a Game. Yeah, or Designish for that matter. Like, Designish is a lot more sort of comedy-focused and a lot more theoretical, but it still sort of falls under that category. 
Yeah, I suppose in Let's Make a Game, we tend to get a little bit into the mechanics, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, with Design Edge, we get shit like Slumgullion, which just yeah, involves I the mean, players beating each other to death over soup. We are very much planning to do more of both of those series. Yes. It just comes down to having a little bit more time. <laughs> uh, and then there are... Anonymous question asker says, thank you for the great pod. I hope you all have an excellent day. Thank you too, Anonymous. I hope you do. Thank you. Not a question, more of a comment, more of an observation per se. We're cool with that. (laughs) Okay, I think that about does it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to pick up pretentious games for villains and bastards, you can't yet. Not until the Kickstarter backers have theirs. Um, but to be notified when it does go live, you should follow at DHB underscore games on Twitter and at Jessica underscore crimes on Twitter for yes. all the things that I am up to and all the things that the uh, business as a wider entity are up to. Alistair, would you like to tell us about any of those things? Um, sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, um, one in I, particular, perhaps. Okay, yeah, okay. I, I was wondering, is that is that the thing you're getting at? Yeah, just uh, the Carving Bones is an epistolary horror serial that I have been writing for the past good fucking lord year and a half, um, and uh, it's very close to the end of its second act, which is running a little bit longer than I thought. But you know, it's kind of neat because we're coming up on Halloween, so it works. Uh, so yeah, it's nearing the end of the second act. Uh, you can find it at thecarvingbones.com. Uh, and you can uh, follow my Twitter at either at Candle Lantern or at Alistair Motts. One is professional, one is not professional. Um, I don't mind whichever one and you the follow. the other tells only lies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for for updates, and I you know I post and I, I I post every update on Twitter usually, and I occasionally, if you subscribe to the mailing list on the website, I send out a newsletter with all of the updates that have gone out since the last newsletter. So that way, you won't ever miss anything. The Carving Bones just keeps getting fucking scarier, and we're chatting about it in the DHB Discord, and we keep thinking this must be as scary as it gets, right? And it <laughs> never fucking is. Alistair keeps doing this to us. So You're yeah, a wonderful like come, hype. <laughs> if you'd like to come chat about it, join the DHB Discord. The link is on the DHB Twitter and in the episode description. And if you would like access to the Patreon-only channel, where we basically get feedback on particular upcoming potential ideas for the show if you'd like to have a say in what the show looks like in the future or if you would like the other patreon bonuses such as supporting us financially and making sure you can keep on doing this uh getting access to bonus extended cuts of episodes the occasional just straight up bonus episode we are wanting to do some more of them pretty soon and just lots of other extra miscellaneous goodies check out patreon.com slash don't hurt birds the link is in the episode description Mm -hmm. i think that about does it i think it does too thank you guys so much for listening very much uh yeah bye bye (laughs) take care guys 